We are in a series titled Endgame, What We Know About What's to Come. And we actually know a lot about what's to come because God is marching history toward an, a predetermined end. He's in charge of history. And he tells us quite a bit about what's to come. Now, he tells us everything we need to know to live a life that pleases him, but he does not tell us everything we want to know. So when you begin to study what the Bible teaches about the end, you will be left uh, with a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, we want everything to be uh, packaged nicely and neatly, and we want uh, details, and we want timing, questions answered, and God does not uh, feel the, responsible to answer all the questions that we have. He tells us what we need to know in order to um, live a life now that pleases him. Now, the topics that we are covering in this series are living in the last days, the second coming of Jesus Christ, resurrection of the dead. Those have already been dealt with, by the way. You can uh, listen online if you missed any of those. Uh, today, we're talking about the great tribulation and the rapture. We're going to talk about the millennium, the final judgment, heaven and hell, the book of Revelation, and the statement in the Bible, and so all Israel will be saved. We have a, a central question for uh, today, and here's the question we're going to try to be answering. It's this. Does the Bible foretell a coming great tribulation to precede the second coming of Jesus Christ? Okay? Uh, does the Bible tell us that before Jesus returns, there will be a period of great tribulation, uh, and if so, if so, uh, will the Christian have to go through that great tribulation? That's the fundamental question. Now, John, uh, Jesus tells us that we will experience tribulation in this world. John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, all Christians in all places and all times uh, experience tribulation, but not necessarily the great tribulation. Now, tribulation uh, just means hardship, difficulty, sorrow, trouble. And in this world, you'll have tribulation. There are four sources of tribulation that can befall us. Living in a fallen world, the brokenness, of this broken world intersects our lives. A second source might be the consequences of our own choices. Might just be uh, foolish decisions. It could be sin and its consequences. A third source uh, of tribulation are the actions of other people. Uh, and for the people of God, in particular, the persecution of wicked people against the people of God. And then finally, the actions of God whether he is disciplining his children or judging the wicked. Now, the Great Tribulation um, consists of a mixture of the persecution of the wicked to the, on the righteous and uh, the judgment of God upon wicked people. And if I had to, I have a little picture here, the mixture 
if I had to give a ratio, I would say, I don't know, maybe five-sixths of the Great Tribulation is God pouring out his judgment, uh, and only, you know, only a, a much smaller portion has to do with the wicked persecuting. The, tr the Great Tribulation is fundamentally about God pouring out his wrath upon wickedness. There are two New Testament texts that name the Great Tribulation. Uh, only two in the New Testament that seem to refer to this, uh, this particular event in history. So, by the way, uh, one way to think about it is we all experience tribulation with a little t, hardship and sorrow and difficulty and pain and suffering. But the great tribulation with a capital T, that is, a, that is a, an event that will come at a particular time in history that God uh, tells us about. And so the two places in the New Testament where the great tribulation is actually named, Matthew chapter 24, uh, its parallel text is Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 13, uh, but Mark is simply repeating uh, his version of the Olivet Discourse, and then also in Revelation 7. So I want to um, go ahead and read those texts. Uh, in Matthew 24, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 24. Um, so in Matthew 24, Jesus, there, one of, one of Jesus' disciples, they're obviously at the Temple Mount, and his disciple points out the beautiful temple of Jesus' day and says, you know, uh, Master, isn't this just amazing? What a beautiful building. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Uh, well, as you can imagine, that sparks some uh, discussion and curiosity amongst the disciples, and then they come to him at a private moment when, the, he, when they're on the Mount of Olives out. And we read in Matthew 24, 3, And he, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right? They want to know. When, what, what do you mean the temple's going to be destroyed? When's that going to happen? And uh, what will be the sign of the end of the age and your coming? And the disciples, um, based on their understanding of the Old Testament, would have seen kind of all of the events of the end. Uh, they would have expected that to happen all at one time, not spread over time as um, Jesus understood they would be. So well, let's pick up Jesus' response in verse 15. And Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. You should all understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Picking it up in 20. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for, there, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Immediately after the tribulation, I'm now in verse 29, 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And... Uh, and that makes total sense to you, right? You know, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Uh, so this is the Olivet Discourse, and it is the primary teaching of Jesus about the end. And it is a very complex, and a um, lot of ink has been spilt trying to um, determine for sure what it is that Jesus is te teaching. But there are three basic takes on this text. And the first take says, uh, everything that Jesus is talking about here took place in A.D. 70. When uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, and killed uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian claims 1.1 million. Uh, that might be inflated, but absolute and utter disaster for Israel. So what had happened is uh, the, the Jews rebelled against Rome. They'd been chafing at Rome's occupation and leadership. They rebelled, and so the Romans sent Titus, uh, the great general Titus, and uh, emperor was Vespasian at the time. And so Titus conquers Jerusalem. By the way, as the Romans are coming, so many of the Jews uh, left the countryside and went into Jerusalem to try to, you know, escape the Romans. So it's just packed. And the Romans besiege it and people and all of, all of the horrors that come with starvation, etc. Eventually they conquer the city, slaughtering men, women, and children. They... Um, bring in the Roman eagle into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, desecrating it. It, it was, and, and, and that, then the, the, uh, the Jews were scattered, th right, throughout the world. In fact, uh, we talk about the 10 lost tribes, 10 of the 12 tribes, just where did they go? They became the Jewish diaspora all over the world. There was no Jewish state up until 19. 49, 48, So absolutely a massive historical event in the life of the Jewish people. And so the first take says Jesus predicted this event, which took place, you know, 40, about 40 years um, after he spoke these words. But there will, there is not going to be another great tribulation uh, it's already come and it's been and it's it's uh, come and gone. Yes, the people of God are persecuted, and, and and sometimes that persecution is great at different times and places throughout the world and throughout world history. But the great tribulation that uh, Jesus foretells has already come and gone. That's the first take. Okay. The second takes is a almost exact opposite. The second take says nothing that Jesus predicts here in Matthew 24 has occurred yet. 
It's all in the future. Uh, and it's, this, is, this is the stuff that's going to surround the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's all in the future. And then the third take, which is, uh, I would say, the, the majority take of um, conservative biblical scholars, is that uh, it was fulfilled, Jesus' teaching was fulfilled in part in A.D. 70, and will also be fulfilled in part uh, at the second coming. So some portions of Jesus' um, prophecy dealt with, did in fact deal with uh, Jerusalem A.D. 70, and then some of what he had in mind was about the second coming, because Jesus understood it wasn't going to all happen at once, right? The big, the big events of the end uh, would come in stages. Revelation 7. And uh, the ins and outs of um, how people get to these takes is quite uh, shockingly complex. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 records a vision of the Apostle John that he received about uh, the future. And so uh, John records one of the visions this way, Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Skipping to verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know... And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, one of the things that is hotly debated is the timing of uh, the writing of Revelation. The majority view is that Revelation was written somewhere between 90 and 95 years uh, A.D., which of course would mean it was written after what happened uh, in Jerusalem at A.D. 70. Um, and then, but, but there's another, and you cannot disc discard it, another view which uh, sees Revelation as written around 65 A.D. There are three basic takes on Revelation 7, and the first is this. Uh, this vision that John is given, this is a picture of all Christians who have ever suffered tribulation at the hands of the wicked. Right? That's what he's seeing. This great multitude, no one could number, from every nation, all tribes, peoples, they're clothed in white, standing uh, before the throne and before the Lamb. It's a picture of all Christians who have ever suffered tribulation at the hands of the wicked. The second take is that this is a picture of all the Christians who lived through the great tribulation. So it's only Christians who actually went through the Great Tribulation. And then the, the final take is that this is a picture of the people who became Christians during the Great Tribulation. And that view is held uh, by 
uh, those we'll talk about a little bit later who believe that the church is actually raptured prior to the tribulation and therefore there, there are no Christians who go into the tribulation but people get saved during the tribulation and those people are who are uh, pictured here in Revelation 7. So with regard to the Great Tribulation, there are basically three views. View number one, the Great Tribulation as a formal, formal event whereby God pours out His wrath upon the wicked. That has already taken place. It took place in AD 70. And the wicked people were the Jews who had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And God poured out judgment upon them for their wickedness. Uh, the second view of the Great Tribulation says the Great Tribulation is yet to come and it will take place prior to, I would I think it's even correct to say immediately prior to, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the third basic view of the Tribulation is that it, the Great Tribulation is yet to come prior to the second coming of Jesus, but what happened in AD 70 was a foretaste of it. And, and um, persecutions th uh, that have happened throughout history are also foretastes of that great tribulation yet to come. <clears throat> now, when you really get into this and, uh, and study it, you're, it's quite, quite surprising how committed Christians who absolutely believe the Bible is the Word of God and they're trying to honor the Bible such vastly different understandings of, uh, uh, of these things, which is not the case with most you know, Christian doctrine, right? Usually you study the Bible and, it's, and uh, those who truly are trying to understand the Scriptures can and they come to you know, basic agreement. There's quite a variety of uh, understanding as it relates to tribulation. Why? And it, it, it's because it's, um, we're dealing with what is called apocalyptic genre or prophetic genre. It's a literary genre that uses a ton of symbolism. And symbolism is extremely difficult to pin down uh, when it comes to details, right? Uh, symbolism is not the greatest tool when you're trying to help people uh, write a very nicely organized timeline. <laughs> uh, and, and so, it, it, as a result, people can interpret these symbols um, very differently. Is there anything that, you know, all Bible-believing Christians can agree on as it relates to tribulation? Uh, and here it is. Everyone agrees that the Bible's teaching on the Great Tribulation underscores the fact that God punishes unbelief and wickedness. That's it. Um, those who believe it, it has already happened, well, it was God judging the unbelief and the wickedness of the Jewish people. That's what they would say. Those who believe it's to come, uh, it is... God pouring out his wrath upon wickedness and upon unbelief. And, and so everyone would agree that the Bible's teaching about the great tribulation should 
inspire repentance and faith. Uh, you don't want the wrath of God to be poured out on your life. You don't want to go uh, through the great tribulation. Well, you don't want the wrath of God poured out on your life. And so, uh, oh, and because the great tribulation, as bad as it is, happens in this life, and it's just a foreshadowing of the greatest tribulation, which is to spend eternity apart from God in hell and all that that involves. And, and so it is a, it's a great, uh, meant to be a great warning upon to people. So what is the purpose of the great tribulation? Three purposes. Number one, the, the first and foremost purpose of the, of the tribulation is to punish the wicked. And so I want to read Revelation 16 uh, in which even though it doesn't say great tribulation it seems to clearly be talking about uh, some of the some of what is going on uh, in the tribulation. Revelation 16 talks about the seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out on the earth presumably during the tribulation. John writes, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So this is not the Antichrist. Um, persecuting the Christians. This is God pouring out his wrath on the wicked. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Do note that. Uh, the, the people recognize it's God who is bringing this, these punishments down on them. But rather than repent, what do they do? They curse the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its waters were dried up and on it gone it goes. So the first purpose of the great tribulation is for God to punish wickedness. Now those who view the great tribulation as having taken place in AD 70 believe that God's purpose was to punish the Jews for their rejection of Jesus the Messiah. Uh, those who view the great tribulation and uh, James and I let the cat out of the bag. I mean, that's 
that's our understanding. Great, great tribulation is yet to come. Um, it, it is, God is going to judge the wicked people all over the world, right? All wickedness will be judged, will be punished. The second purpose of the tribulation is to demonstrate the truth of God's word. So God has been telling people, right? Be sure your sins will find you out. I'm God, and you can't just live your lives the way you want to live it without regard to me. Uh, someday you're going to have to pay the piper. Well, people be, are very, become very aware during the Great Tribulation that God is real and is uh, pouring out his wrath on them. And so <clears throat> many understand, uh, many, many see in the Tribulation uh, a significant uh, awakening, spiritual awakening, especially dispensationalists, they, they believe that one of the primary purposes of the tribulation is to finally get the attention of the Jewish people and they believe based on Romans 11 that the Jews will have a mass conversion to Christ during the tribulation as they see the power of God uh, on display. And then finally, the final purpose of the Great Tribulation is to reveal the true condition of people's hearts. Although uh, some will repent and become Christians, uh, others, in fact, probably most, I think, based on what we just read, uh, they will shake their fist at God despite God's... So, so the person who says, I would believe there's a God if he gave me more evidence, what does Romans say? Uh, no one was without an excuse because God is, you know, evident in creation. Well, uh, they're going to have even less opportunity to say, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, you did. It was, it was right in your face and you cursed God. And you didn't, it, you didn't uh, acknowledge him. You didn't worship him. You cursed him and you rebelled. Will Christians have to go through the Great Tribulation? Uh, there, are, there are three primary views on this. Uh, and it, this has to do with the, trib, uh, with the rapture, which James, uh, Pastor James talked about last week. And the rapture is when Jesus returns, uh, the dead in Christ will rise, and they'll be given right, the new resurrected body. And the Christian who's alive at the time of Christ the coming will go rise to meet Christ in the air and our earthly bodies will be transformed into uh, heavenly bodies as well. That's, that's the rapture. Uh, when Christ returns, the people of God go, who are alive, go to meet him in the air. When, what's the timing of the rapture? Hotly debated topic and it really ha uh, is all about the timing of the rapture as a relation to the tribulation. So um, probably the historically the majority view has been the post-tribulation rapture, which is that, there we go, my handmade drawing, super clear. Uh, and it, it's the idea that uh, the church age will end with a tribulation period, and at the end of the tribulation, the people of God will have to go through the tribulation, but at the end of the tribulation, Christ will return and the people of God will be raptured and, you know, return to reign with him kind of simultaneously. 
Um, then there is the pre-tribulation rapture view, and it says that Jesus will rapture his, the church before the, and the argument is, well, the tribulation is fundamentally about God pouring out his wrath. Why does the church need to be here? It's more of a philosophical argument than it is um, coming out of uh, the Bible. The Bible doesn't <clears throat> clearly teach this at all. Um, and, and then there is the mid-trib position, and the mid-trib position says, well, the first half of the tribulation is really the Antichrist messing with the people of God, but then the second half of the tribulation, that's the wrath of God being poured out, and so the people of God will have to endure this, the uh, wicked's persecution against them, but then we get taken up before the wrath of God is poured out. Again, it's, I don't see much of the biblical case. It's more of, it's more of a uh, philosophical, I think, um, take. Now, if we get, so, if we get to choose our theology based on what we like, I'm pre-trib rapture, right? Who is it? I don't want to have to go through the tribulation. So, Jesus, come take me. Uh, but... I hold that ridiculously loosely. In fact, I think that the, the bulk of biblical evidence, I think it's more weighted on the post-tribulational rapture. I, uh, most of what I see in Scripture about Christians in tribulation is be patient, trust in the Lord, He'll get you through. And when you die, it's okay because you'll get the crown of life. <laughs> right? Why does God, here's the, the question I want to end with, but I'm going to sit on this a little bit, and here it is. Why does God tell us about a great tribulation? I asked my girls this, and we posted it on Facebook, uh, if you saw that, Clearwater's Facebook, and I said, you know, so what do you know about the tribulation? And Aubrey's response was, it's going to be terrible, and so I'm terrified, but I'm not supposed to be afraid, so I'm just very concerned. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, I mean... So why does God tell us about this coming great tribulation? Is it to make us be full of dread? Oh my goodness, there's this terrible day coming and uh, if, if Jesus doesn't come, you know, if I don't die or D Jesus doesn't come uh, first, I'm going to have to go through it. Well, I do not think that we are taught, told about the great tribulation in order to make us dread unless we're not yet Christians. And if you're not yet a Christian, then yeah, <laughs> uh, the teaching of the Great Tribulation ought to fill you with dread because you're in the camp of the wicked and you're going to uh, experience the wrath of God poured out on your life. And so be, be afraid, be very afraid, repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus and get saved. That's why we call it salvation. Uh, number two. I do not believe that we're taught about the coming great tribulation uh, so that we can better predict the timing of Jesus' return. Uh, like, oh, I don't really need to worry about Jesus returning until that great tribulation comes because he's not going to return until after that. Um, I don't think God is interested in helping us uh, get better at our prediction of his coming. The Bible is just very clear that uh, that's a wasted effort. 
Matthew chapter 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, life's going to just kind of go on like normal. Uh, people are just... And elsewhere, we're told many times, uh, the, the coming of the Son of Man is, much, is like a thief in the night, right? And you just, you're not going to be able to uh, predict its timing. And so constantly be ready. That's what the Bible says, loud and clear. Constantly be ready. So I don't think, you know, we're not told about the, the great tribulation in order to better predict the return of Jesus. Here it is. So Why? Here's why the Bible tells us about this coming tribulation. To help us endure when we find ourselves in the midst of tribulation. That, that's what it is. He tells us about the great tribulation to help us endure tribulation. And here's how that happens. But first, let me just point out that Jesus warns us about the danger of abandoning on our faith because of tribulation. Matthew 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is awesome. I, this gospel's great. I want in. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so uh, tribulation poses a threat to spiritual longevity. So how do we shore up our um, faithfulness? Well, first off, knowing that the, a great day of tribulation is coming means that we won't be taken by surprise when we find ourselves in the midst of tribulation. Uh, we read this about the disciples in Acts chapter 14. When they, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Look, one of the reasons we're told about the great tribulation, it's the Bible saying, you know, it's the same reason Jesus says in this world you're going to have tribulations. Look, Tribul going through tribulation is uh, just part and parcel of the, of the Christian life. You better build some tribulation into your vision of the Christian life. I don't know how many times I've encountered people who are disillusioned with the faith because God has allowed some hardship into their life. As if they had some kind of a deal with God. I'll be a good Christian and, and you keep the bad things away from me. And then when the bad things come in their life, they're like, hey, God's not holding up his part of the deal. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but God does not promise to protect us from tribulation. He's very clear. Uh, it, there will be a, tri a tribulation. In fact, there's going to be a great tribulation. So we won't be taken by surprise. Secondly, we're, ta we're taught about a coming great tribulation so that we won't fret about justice not being done. Second Thessalonians verse one, chapter 1, verse 6 
since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you. So knowing that there's this coming day where God is going to pour out his wrath upon the wicked of the earth calms us down when we are the victims of wickedness, right? And, and we, we don't have to worry that people are going to get away with their mean acts and their wicked acts. And so I don't know what's been done to you. Uh, chances are some pretty bad stuff has been done to you. And if you, we need assurance as the people of God that the just judge sees it and will deal with it. And so knowing that there's a great tribulation, which is, of course, only the beginning. You know, the, the full justice isn't ultimately done until you take into account, you know, eternal judgment. But it gives us, it helps us to not fret uh, when we see um, when we see wicked people doing wicked things and getting away with it, be sure your sins will find you out. There is coming a day when all will be put right. Third reason we're told about the coming great tribulation is so that we won't envy the wicked. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, we read, But because of your hard and, in, and impenitent heart, that's an unrepentant, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Um, you need to look around and see wicked people just living life the way they want to live it, doing whatever they want to do it, and seem to be getting away with it and actually seem to be th sort of thriving. And so the people of God can go, hey, uh, that kind of looks like a good way to live until you remember uh, actually there's a great tribulation coming where God's going to pour out his wrath upon that kind of behavior. So we are not to envy. It, it helps protect us from envying the wicked. And then finally we're told about the great tribulation so that we will look forward to our reward when we are in tribulation. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 Jesus it, um, promises to, to his people who endure tribulation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Isn't that funny? Don't, don't be afraid. You're going to die. Isn't that kind of what he's saying? Don't be afraid. You're going to have a, some, so you're going to be tested. You're going to have a bunch of tribulation and you're going to die. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And I will give you the crown of life. So, you know, really, we're, we're told about the great tribulation. Fundamentally to say, whose side do you want to be on? <laughs> In light of what's coming. In light of what's coming. Whose side do you want to be on? You want to be on God's side? Where the only thing you have to fear is the one who can pill, kill the body but cannot fill, kill the soul? Right? Who can persecute you in this life. Light and momentary trials, which can be physical death. Or do you, be, or do you want to be, you know, uh, or do you want to be on the side of the wicked in which there at the end... 
the wrath of God poured out upon them and, and, uh, and game over. So actually the great tribulation should not, as a Christian, it shouldn't scare us. It should actually encourage us. It should encourage us to remain faithful to Jesus now, no matter what our situation, especially when our situation is bad, um, because we are on the winning side. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love your word, and we honor all of its genres. Uh, we submit to your wisdom, and we know that it is for our best. Even the uh, lack of clarity uh, on, on some of these texts, Lord, it, it's, all, it's ultimately for our good. You have given us what we need to live a life of spiritual victory. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.